The opinions expressed on this WebmasterRadio.fm program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of WebmasterRadio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. It's time to get fired up. Fired Up is a show that delivers both business impact and social importance. Get ready to explore the connection between communications and human motivation. Our guests will share ideas on how to create higher returns on your communication investments by engaging the people who matter most. Our host, Gordon Rudo, CEO of Bonfire Communications, has bridged the communications gap from startups and nonprofits to the Fortune 500, from political leaders to celebrity CEOs. Get ready to be fired up with your master communicator, Gordon Rudo. So, good morning, everybody, and welcome back to Fired Up at Webmaster Radio. Hope everybody had a good week last week, and I think you're going to enjoy the show today. Uh, as you've heard throughout the season, we've been dealing with all of these areas around organizational change and around engagement and how do we get our employees connected and focused and ready to commit to and deliver on our business issues and results. Uh, and one of the themes running through week to week is this amorphous area, a couple amorphous areas, a tough one that we've uh, always wrestled with in business is this idea around culture. And you heard Art Kleiner talking about this, uh, I think it was last week and a couple weeks ago, we wrestled with this with Gary Ridge, and he talked about cultures as tribes. But we have all of these different metaphors for culture and how to work with it and adapt it. But I do want to bring in one distinction before we start with our guest today, is this idea of culture being potentially one of the greatest leverage points we have in organizational success. And one of my previous colleagues, a fellow named Timothy O'Shea, a brilliant man in organizations, described this ladder of leverage that we have. And the bottom of this ladder is this idea of results, that we're always trying to create results. And you go up one rung of that ladder, you say the way that we can get results is to change people's actions. And those actions could be processes or tactics or behaviors or different values. But to shift people's uh, actions in a more sustainable way or results in a sustainable way, we have to go up one level again to people's thinking. And if we want to change people's thinking, we go up the ladder one more time and change people's communications or organizational communication. So if you want to shift the way people orient or have context in an organization, you have to change the way that management or leadership um, communicates up, down, how we make decisions, how we communicate decisions. And at the very top of this ladder is this thing called culture. And if we're trying to change results and actions or thinking and communications, at the end of the day, these will either be supported or completely sabotaged, either quickly or slowly over time, um, by this thing called culture. So we need to learn uh, what is culture, how do we work with it, how do we guide it, how do we nourish it. Um, So we've talked about this in other episodes, but we're going to dive into this in more detail, and specifically the connection between culture and brand. And if there's someone that can help us think through this challenging terrain, um, it is today's guest, Libby Sartain. And if you don't know Libby, uh, you may know her work that she uh, supported in a couple major organizations that you probably have heard of, um, Yahoo being one of them, Southwest being another one. As Chief Human Resources Officer of those organizations, she helped them deal with uh, 
rapid growth, uh, a lot of complexity in their strategies, and help them evolve over time. And evolving culture is going to be a center point of our conversation. It's a very challenging thing to do. She's discussed this in her books. Um, you've probably seen her books, HR from the Heart or Brand from the Inside, a new book called Brand for Talent. Um, so she's going to help us understand what is culture, what is brand, how do these things connect. So uh, without further ado, I'd like to welcome Libby. How are you this morning, Libby? That's great. Well, we appreciate you spending time with us this morning and helping us understand this wacky thing called culture. Um, and as we dive into this topic, do you have uh, perhaps a, a, a frame for this, a metaphor for this, a way for us to orient in your worldview of, of this thing called culture? Well, I think of things pretty simply. So I think the simplest way for me to describe the way I think about culture is that it is really the way we do things around here. That's the best way to think about it. So in a workplace, uh, there are certain values and behaviors and work ethics and communication channels that sort of become the core of how you get things done. And to me, that is the culture. Left unattended, it will evolve and grow. You have one whether you know it or not. But if you nurture it, it can make a difference and drive higher performance levels and make the workplace uh, a very special place to be. Interesting. So you're talking about paying attention to it. So this is almost um, like a marriage or like any relationship. Uh, we have to make things explicit and clear or, or at least conscious so we can pay attention to these elements. But what is the unconscious? Can you explain maybe what's beneath it? If it is the way that things are done here, what are the factors or the conditions or the things that maybe um, contribute to that result? Well, I, over the years, I've been struck by people who have literally said to me, we don't have a culture. <laughs> but I think if you have an organization that has, you know, more than one or two people, you have a culture. And so it's sort of like the unwritten rules and the behaviors that are expected. And people learn that if I do things a certain way, I get rewarded. And if I do things a different way, I might get punished. And so they become sort of the norms and the mores and um, probably what your other guest was talking about that evolved in, in tribes. And so what's under it is it evolves whether you know it or not. So then at some point you have one, you might as well figure out what it is and find out what's working and what's not working and nurture it so that you drive a higher performance culture and one where people can do their best work. So how have you in your career um, gone after understanding it? Well, you can do an assessment, and, of course, there's a lot of tools. Um, the, the easiest thing to do, of course, is a survey with your workers and sort of ask them to describe uh, different factors that are related to the culture and how they, um, what they see in the culture, what they don't see, what are the values. Um, when I was at Yahoo, we did something called a cultural health assessment, and then that evolved into a, a survey. We did every 18 months uh, sort of a cultural and engagement survey. Um, the other very effective way to do it is through focus groups. But basically, it's there, and if you just walk around the halls and listen, you can pretty much figure out what's working and what's not working because people um, talk about it. It's part of the way of life in the organization. 
So this is a fascinating area because we have a lot of leaders, and we're going to have to take a break and talk about this right after the break. But, you know, a lot of leaders, in my experience, have said, you know, we don't like our culture. Can you give us a new one? Or the culture that we have is no longer working for us. Is there ways that we can replace ours with something else? And we've looked at these kind of cultural lobotomies that that companies are asking for and found that to be a much more difficult or much longer-term challenge and one that they have to really invest into. So why don't we take a short break and come back and talk about how do we start, again, nourishing or guiding a culture in a different direction if that's what our strategies or the external market is demanding on us. Um, so stick with us. We're going to take a short break and come right back with Libby Sartain and talk about how do we evolve or guide and change our cultures when we need to. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Fired up on webmasterradio.fm. We'll return after this short break. Does your website need a bailout? Looking for a conversion rate stimulus package? Do you need a website improvement to-do list? On Target, a subscription service from Future Now and Brian Eisenberg monitors your website 24-7, analyzing the actions of every potential customer. It gives you a to-do list. It tells you exactly what to fix and how to fix it so that more of your visitors do what you need them to do. On Target pricing starts at $1,000 a month. See more at futurenowinc.com slash on target. I'm Brian Eisenberg, and I approve this message. Friend Finder. Friend Finder. The world's largest online dating network featuring over 100 million profiles at hot sites such as Passion.com and FastCupid.com represents enormous profit-making opportunities for webmasters just like you. With Friend Finder's ability to geo-target and provide billing solutions in most languages and currencies, you are sure to find our comprehensive network to be a good friend to your wallet. Wallet. Get more traffic-maximizing details now at FriendFinder.com. Did you know? 99designs is a leading marketplace for graphic design on the Internet. Did you know? 99designs connects you to a community of over 35,000 designers who will compete to do the best work for you. Did you know? 99designs allows you to post projects for logo design, web page design, t-shirt design, and more. Did you know? 99designs projects the average of over 70 different design options for a price that you set. 99designs. When designers compete, you win. Ready to learn to be a mass marketing mastermind? Take some notes from the godfathers of mass distribution. Inbox, Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the Internet Marketing Channel, only on webmasterradio.fm. You're getting fired up, only on webmasterradio.fm. Now, here's Gordon Rudo. So we're back with Libby Sartain, and we're talking about uh, not only assessing the culture, and she's described different instruments and surveys and focus groups and way of investigating with your organization um, to uncover those truths, uncover those conditions that kind of uh, factor into our cultures. But uh, I was talking about these these demands that we have, and sometimes it's the market, sometimes it's a new leader, um, sometimes there's shifts in strategy that are required that demand us to look at our cultures and, and make some changes. And this is always real tricky work, so if you can help us understand, how do you, how do you begin to go about the work of not just assessing, um, but starting to evolve it or move it in a direction that's more fruitful for where a company needs to go? Well, I love it when the CEO just comes to HR and says, change the culture. Like, HR can do it all by itself. That's another fun exercise. But uh, once a culture is in place, 
it is really difficult to change because it is the way we do things. So it shapes all of your behavior, and everyone in the workforce has learned to sort of survive and thrive by following those sort of unwritten rules. So if you really want to affect a true cultural transformation, you have to change the structure, perhaps every system and process in the organization to reinforce the new culture, and, and more difficult, all leaders have to embrace new behaviors, new attitudes, and conduct the way they do things in new and different ways. And then everyone in the whole organization has to focus on changing the culture. That it can be done successfully, but it is very hard. It can't be done overnight. It may take several years. So the best way, I think, to tackle it is to take it in smaller bits and pieces. So um, start with a true assessment of your culture. What is working? Uh, what are the best aspects of the culture? Does it attract and retain and engage the kind of talent that you need? What are what I call the cultural imperatives, the things that we want to be part of our culture as long as we exist? And what are the things we need to shed, some of the behaviors that are not working in our favor? This is really critical because I think a lot of clients that we see kind of throw out the baby with the bathwater, kind of, you know, when they do the, the cultural assessment and they say this isn't where we go, um, sometimes they don't ask the question of what's actually working. What do we want to make sure that, w- that we hold on to? And as you described, shifting systems and processes in the way that leaders orient and change their own behavior. It's tough to do that in nuances. So, so when you talk about doing it in bits, how have you helped your executives understand what's working and, and take on what's not working? That seems to be a tricky territory. Yeah, we, we work through this at Yahoo, and, and generally a time that this happens is when the organization is going through a big change, either a change in leadership or a merger and acquisition or a change in business direction. Something, there's a burning platform to kind of drive this change. But what we did at Yahoo is we literally conducted our focus groups and our surveys, and we found that we had this very strong culture, but some of the aspects that had worked for us when we were smaller and a startup were working against us now that we were a $5 billion company with 15,000 employees. So, uh, for example, we had built a large workforce of extremely loyal employees, but they weren't necessarily engaged for the right reasons, but more loyal to the company and what they were working on. So they weren't thinking of the company as a whole, but their business, their product, their service that they supported. Um, We had a very flexible environment because it was a dot-com startup, but we needed more focus and discipline in what we were doing. And our people were very passionate about what they were doing and working very hard, but there was very little prioritization and focus. (laughs) And so people were running around not necessarily delivering the right results. And the last thing was our culture of innovation. We had tons of innovation, but we hadn't built into our culture the ability to prioritize and work on the things that would yield the highest return. So we had to um, build sort of a framework in which we made this change. The first thing was focus on how we make decisions. You know, we used to make decisions based on whoever had the best argument and the best relationship. 
Now we literally had to assign owners to different decisions and then people who had input to the decisions and sort of work through a very formal structure of somebody has authority to make this decision. That's just what happens when a company gets big. We also had to define behaviors that would help us um, change the culture to the, the aspirational culture. And then for leaders, competencies, which we began to train against so that the leaders would also change their behaviors. Because if we just stood up and said, here's what we're trying to do, and then nobody does it, it's not going to stick. Right, and, and if we can kind of punch into this one just for another minute or so, um, leaders changing their behaviors, because we've seen this over and over again, where it, it's, it's far easier to prescribe what everyone else needs to do. Um, but when it comes to them actually changing their behaviors, you found that you can teach old dogs new tricks. Tell us how you do that. I think you can tr- tr- teach some old dogs new tricks, but um, quite frankly... If you look at what happened at Yahoo, a lot of leaders left and new leaders came in. Um, So it just means that some of the old dogs couldn't learn the new tricks or didn't want to learn the new tricks. They opted out and left. But I think when you're trying to make a change, sometimes you have to change out the leaders who can't um, support or won't support the new initiatives. But if you have a very clear communications and training program, if you reward the desire behaviors, if leaders emulate those behaviors and those are the ones who are promoted, then yes, it can work. And not all organizations have the discipline to do that. Uh, That is one thing that Southwest Airlines did extremely well, is as a leader, if a leader did not lead according to the desired leadership behaviors and competencies, they were gone. And all it takes is a few people to leave after they've <laughs> had some kind of behavior that's not fitting with where we're trying to go, and everybody else jumps on the bandwagon. Everyone gets the message. Exactly. And if we can go back um, to a minute ago, you also mentioned, you know, this decision-making model, and I'd love to jump back to Southwest, but on this issue, um, changing the way that you make decisions, and when you have a, a highly entrepreneurial culture where it's who you know and how to get things done, and you move into formal decision-making with owners and input levels, and, and you put formality in, was there some rebelling against this formal structure when it happened, and, and if there was some sort of... Uh, uh, rebelling in the beginning, did it, did it wane over time? Uh, tell us about how that was introduced and how that went. Well, we actually had a, had a, a model. I'm trying to even remember what the four letters were, but it spelled a word, and there was the decider, the person who gave input, the person who reviewed, the person who approved, you know, that kind of thing. Um, uh-huh. There was everybody knew that we needed a better way to get decisions made because decisions you know, when we were smaller, we're fast because of this relationship-based, uh, you know, entrepreneurial environment. But when you grew larger, if everybody had to weigh in, we might be sitting there contemplating the decision six months, whereas the other startup has now already implemented this <laughs> and, and developed the product and everything because smaller companies can move faster. So we had to do this, and everybody knew that. But there were some people who thought, this isn't the way it used to be. It was better in the good old days. 
and some of them voted with their feet and actually went to startups because they preferred to work in the startup environment. I'm not sure that's always so bad. Uh, companies evolve, and the kind of people and talent that are needed evolve with the company. It's an interesting point. When I was preparing for this interview and I was looking at your material and thinking about this topic of evolving culture, I was curious how much of, of the reality is you have to shed some talent. You have to actually um, have new people on the bus to, to drive differently. And I'm hearing, you know, that's a very important thing. You also mentioned that, you know, everyone knew that this needed to happen, and, and you talked about clear communication and, and clear reward systems and so forth. But that's kind of John Cotter's first rule of thumb, right, in, in times of change, that everyone knows that it's a problem, that there is a burning platform. So did you play a role in that burning platform? And, and, and because there was clear communications, everyone got the message that this was critical, or was it just that things were not getting done the way that they used to get done? In the case of uh, Yahoo, we had competitive pressures. Um, we had uh, some very high, highly visible companies doing IPOs, we had new startups in, you know, sort of in our space. So these competitive pressures became the impetus of the change because now we were the monster. We used to be the young startup, but now we were becoming the big monster who couldn't change fast enough. Interesting. And were there some executives that were fully on board and trying to get other executives to not leave and to understand? Is there any of those situations where, I don't know if it was the CEO or another top executive, that sometimes there's a bottleneck or there's one roadblock or just a few and everyone else is kind of on board? Did you have any sort of issue where there were some big conversations with some important people just to make sure that this was going to go? I don't think we had, like, one or two bottlenecks. I think our culture itself, because it had been this culture where we all collaborated and made decisions based on that collaboration, it just had to change. And ultimately, the CEO uh, had to change and the leadership at the top had to change. Um, and Yahoo has a new, new CEO. I'm not there anymore, but I understand she's very decisive, and she changed out almost everybody at the top. Uh, because this culture had become so ingrained and a fresh start was needed. And I don't think that's bad. I think that is part of the evolution of organizations. And most of those people, by the way, went someplace else where the way they work is the right place to be. It's a good fit for where they are. Yeah. No, it sounds like a good thing. We, we've talked about sending people off to do their work and that the angels are taking them to the place that they belong, right? When they no longer fit in the organization, it's not a good place for them. It's not where they're going to bring their best work, and it's not going to be best for the organization. So it sounds like you are a fan, uh, and you let it, you know if I'm framing this correctly, but uh, of having the right people in the organization, and it's not such a bad thing when you lose folks. I, I am a fan. The one thing that I don't like, just to be on this subject, is in the Silicon Valley particularly, uh, there there become sort of phases of layoffs, and um, a lot of companies don't face the fact that they need to shed talent regularly, and they wait for the big layoff and then do it. And they've spent a lot of money and also had the wrong people in jobs for too long. So I think, uh, you know, everybody has their criticism of Neutron Jack. Uh, I'm not sure that the 10% shedding is always about performance, 
but also about fit. Do we have right. the right person doing the right job for where we are now? And this is particularly important when you have very high-growth companies, which are the environments that I tend to work in. Other organizations who are more stable don't deal with that as much. Let's talk about that. We have to take another short break, but let me tee this up before we get the break. But you're talking about fitting the right people into the organization and you're talking about culture, let's link this to your other hot topic, um, something that you have a, a ton of material around, which is brand and branding the culture. And you talk about employer brand, if I can quote it from your book, and how a business builds and packages its identity from its origins and its values, what it promises to deliver to emotionally connect employees so that they in turn deliver what the business promises to its customers. So we're going to come back with Libby and talk about how do you brand the culture, how do you build it in a way that attracts and retains the right people and making sure that they're all in the right seats so that you're getting the business performance you need. So we're going to come right back with Libby and start linking culture to brand and get some of her takeaways before we let her go. Um, So stay with us. We'll be back in two minutes. Stay tuned. Fired Up on WebmasterRadio.fm will return after this short break. Are you happy with your landing page performance? Discover how to improve your landing page performance with ConversionCritic.com. Brought to you by Engine Ready. Turn your underperforming landing pages into cost-effective sales-producing machines. Be sure you're not wasting your precious PPC budget. Conversion Critic Tools give you the ingredients to create high converting landing pages. You don't have to be an expert to use Engine Ready's Conversion Critic Tools, but you'll feel like a landing page pro. Take the guesswork out of increasing your conversion rate. Visit ConversionCritic.com and boost your conversion rate for free. That's www.ConversionCritic.com. Hey affiliates, do you find it a challenge monetizing traffic from the UK, France, or India? You need offers that will appeal to all of your visitors, no matter where they come from. AdsMarket.com has met this challenge and has turned it into a science. AdsMarket.com gets results for publishers and advertisers with a winning formula. The combination of offers, worldwide traffic, and AdsMarket's up-close and personal media management is exactly the boost needed to monetize international audiences. AdsMarket.com, the science of performance. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, so you know they're SEO experts. But did you know they can help you with PBC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. PPC Rockstars will take you to the promised land of PPC profit. Live broadcast Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the advertising channel, only on webmasterradio.fm. You're getting fired up only on webmasterradio.fm. Now, here's Gordon Rudo. So we are back with the last five to seven minutes or so with Libby Sartain, and we want to talk about um, employer branding and, and how you take that culture and package it in a way that gets the right people into the organization and also keeps people committed and clear to what the business priorities are. Is, is that a fair way to tee up employer brand, or how would you add to this frame so we can get started on this, 
topic. I think, well, you've quoted my definition, so of course I love it. <laughs> um, anything that you'd add as we kind of frame the importance of employer brand? Because this is a really hot topic right now, and not everybody even understands how to think about this stuff. Well, I think that an organization really needs three brands. That's the way I look at it. The consumer brand, the employer brand, which you've defined, and then the talent brand, which really reflects how an organization reaches out and markets the employer brand to different talent segments so that they create demand for themselves as an employer and engage the right people to do the right work at the right time, as we've been discussing. Interesting. Um, and this, this idea of three brands, um, I think is kind of new to the marketplace. What kind of uh, response are you getting to the notion of, of these multiple brands and, and how much does the market really understand this at this point from your perspective? I think this is a, a new concept. I don't think it is as hot right now as it's going to be because obviously there aren't a lot of uh, employers right now struggling to find workers. And we all know that the demographics are such that when the market comes back, we have the potential of having talent scarcities, and I think it will become a very hot topic as we emerge from this recession and begin to start to look for the right kind of talent. With only a few minutes left, I'm trying to figure out where do I go here. We only have five minutes left, and there's a lot of things I want to uh, get to, but maybe we can talk about how to do this employer brand and talent brand stuff. In it. And one of the things that you talked about is, is these cross-functional partnerships in your book, um, You know how HR can't do this alone. It needs communication. It needs marketing. It might need some executive sponsorship as well. If we want to go about developing a brand for our talent and for our, uh, for our company as an employer, who needs to be at the table, and, and what are the first steps? Well, that is, I think, the most, one of the most important takeaways I have from this work is HR can't do it alone, marketing can't do it alone, business communications can't do it alone. You have to involve the people who, all those people who communicate the brand inside and outside, but also your operational people or your technical people, the people who actually develop the products or service or deliver the product and service so I think it really starts with um, what promise are you making to your consumers and then what behaviors are required from your employees to deliver on that promise and then building all those systems and structures and leadership that really can create a work experience for the workers so that they intent, in, in turn can deliver uh, that brand promise to the consumers. And let me just ask this provocative question that I'm always asked. You know, how aspirational is aspirational, and how reality do we become around this? Because a lot of what we're promising to the consumers in our brand is somewhat aspirational. And when we talk about as an employer and it being a promise to our employees, I mean, they experience this stuff on a daily basis, and if it doesn't have integrity, it's a real challenge. So, so how do we think about branding from an employer perspective or talent perspective in terms of what is aspirational and what, what should, where should we sit on that spectrum? I agree. That tends to be a sticking point for a lot of the people that I'm working with now. And I think what you need to do is you need to be truly authentic. So if you create aspects of your brand that aren't in place now, you're, you're wanting to go toward this or you aspire to be this way, you have to be very honest and say, we aren't here. This is what we need to be. We aren't here. So here is how we're going to get there and sort of paint a picture of the steps that the organization needs to go through. And it will probably start with training 
It may start with different operational processes. It might be, in the case of a retail store, a redesign of the store or a restaurant, different products. But then the workers need to see that you are delivering what you said you're going to deliver on the pathway to getting to that aspirational brand promise. Excellent. And involve them in the process. It sounds like the way that you're framing this, here's where we're not, here's where we are, and here's what we're going to do and what you can do to help us get there. Is that right? That's right. And um, I think most people just need some direction and some vision and a leader who's by their side to point out this is working and this isn't. Uh, And it, it comes around. And nobody expects perfection, I don't think. No, uh, this is a this is an interesting challenge. Um, when you really get into it, um, nobody expects perfection, but you know everyone is is I think less and less connected to or or, or at least more concerned about the relationship with their executives. Um, there's less trust in an environment that has the kind of layoffs that we're seeing right now, and it sounds like trust is a central part of this conversation. You know, I think what breaks down the trust, what creates the skeptics more than a layoff, more than anything else, is when you say, here's what we're going to do, and then you don't do it. So, again, starting with small increments, phase one, redesign the store, phase two, training program, whatever it is, redesign the store, but then take the time to celebrate and communicate. You know, last, you know, January we told you this, and now in... October, we finished. Now we're doing this, and we'll come back to you and celebrate when we finish that. You have to have celebrations around the, along the way because sometimes people don't even realize that you really did accomplish what you set out to do, and um, that's something to reinforce. This is a key, key concept, and if our listeners remember back, or if you didn't listen to the episode with Robert Fritz, this was like the center point of that conversation, helping everyone in the organization know where you're trying to get into in the journey, but most importantly, where you are against that goal and all of the feedback loops that need to happen along the way to illustrate not only status of what's, uh, where you are, but what actually helped you get there, what isn't helping you get there so you can affirm the right behaviors or the behaviors that are no longer working as you go. And, and as we got to that conclusion with Robert after that 30 minutes, I kind of got to uh, throughout the interview, what is your ultimate kind of point of view? And, and I hate to do this. Um, actually, I don't hate to do this. I say this to our guests, and I actually enjoy this. So um, the challenge here with our last two minutes, Libby, is, is you've had a 30-year career in HR with incredible organizations, and, and as a consultant now and as an author, um, there's a, a ton of material that you have uh, that describes your worldview, but we try to get it in, in 60 seconds or less as a summary for our listeners at the very end of our episode. So if you could describe what you think, uh, based on where the world is today, where the corporations are that, that you're seeing and working with, um, what is your ultimate piece of wisdom for what we need to be thinking about right now or, or um, some takeaway lessons that our listeners can, can move forward with kind of on a, on a Monday morning? Well, I think organizations have to really look at where they are in their life cycle and growth and whether there is the organizational readiness in place to embark on any of these initiatives. And that's where, you, where I see a lot of people beating their head against the brick wall is, they decide to do this, but the organization really isn't ready for what they're trying to do. I think that 
people look at mission and values and employee value proposition and branding, I think what needs to stay the same over time are the values, and you need to get that right and be living those values. But the mission might change, the brand might change, a lot of things might evolve as the business model grows. And um, then you've already hit on the key one is that HR can't do it alone. It needs to be a collaborative effort across the whole business because ultimately if you're going to change behavior, all of the systems, infrastructure, and uh, hiring, everything else has to map to that desired on-brand behavior. Excellent. Uh, I would love to uh, dive into more of this topic with you, but we are out of time. But uh, I would like to punctuate this final point. Understand, uh, please, as you listen to this episode and you think about where your organization is, and if you're a business leader or you're in HR, you're in communications, I think Libby's last point of wisdom is a really critical one. Understand where your organization is, um, that organizational readiness factor, and you know this is going to dictate all kinds of uh, of practices and programs that you're going to put in place. If you're not paying attention to the pulse of the organization, then the things that you may be putting in place may not work, or maybe um, some investments that are not fully fruited. Is that fair to say, Libby? That's exactly right. So thank you again for your time, Libby. Um, This has been a very rich discussion, I think a really important discussion. And um, for those folks who are listening, if you do want to see more and hear more from Libby Sartain, check out her website at LibbySartain.com. You can check out HR from the Heart, Brand from the Inside. And is Brand for Talent out yet? Yep, it came out in April out in April. So check it out at your local bookstores or on Amazon. And anything else that you want to talk about? You're speaking soon in New Orleans, or did that happen already? (laughs) That's over, but you can find my speaking engagements on my website. Okay. Hard to keep up. Well, thank you, Libby. And to our listeners, always check us out on twitter.com forward slash fired up radio. We want to hear uh, what you want to talk about. I believe we're going to have Terry Pierce back, um, the author of Leading Out Loud, who um, spent some time with us earlier this season, but we never touched on his big piece of work that he's working on right now, which we will tell you about when he is on. So thank you so much, and we'll check you out next week. <laughs>